Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. Well, we're going to continue our series this morning in the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at verses uh, chapter 11, the last part of chapter 11. If you want to go ahead and turn there, in the back of your uh, seats there, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible that's for you, and if you don't have one, you're welcome to take that home. Uh, also, you can uh, download a version called Version, and you can use... Uh, Anything from the King James to any of the modern translations uh, in the in the U version, and uh, use that for devotions and other things. But anyway, there's all kind of opportunities for you to have the Word of God. Now, my name is Trey Rhodes. I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist, and our pastor, as uh, Pastor Randy has already told you, is taking a little short vacay, and uh, that's a blessing because he needs to get away every now and again. And so he asked me to continue the series in the Book of Acts, and of course I. Uh, as always, I'd jump, at the, jump at the opportunity to preach. I was a senior pastor for 25 years and preached uh, every week for about three times a week. And so this is, that's been my biggest challenge, is to not preach every week. And uh, Jay has been so gracious to allow me to also preach during youth, uh, or, or youth night, which is called um, Aftershock. And we do that on Wednesday nights, so that's been a blessing. And then occasionally I get to preach other places. So it's always a blessing when I come and stand before God's people and share the Word of God with them. And I just trust that God will continue to use you and uh, use uh, the, His Word to impact the hearts and lives of those that He has, that he has called to be His church. So we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 11 today. And so if you want to go ahead and turn there and be ready, and uh, we will get into that. I want to talk today about impact because the, God has called His church to make lasting impact. Now what He could have done is He could have said, I just want you to kind of feed the saints and enjoy being with the saints, and by the way, that's always good. Uh, you know, there's nothing like a good potluck, nothing like a good uh, fellowship dinner. That is such a huge blessing to be a part of. And just we were just with the ladies, uh, prayer ladies, and that was a blessing because they serve food. And that was this past Wednesday. And I got to tell you, being around the people of God and eating the people of God's food, why do Baptists cook the most fattening, best food in history? Why is that? But they do. And so, you know, being a good preacher, I had to eat all of it. You know, you don't want to offend anybody. You want to make sure, and especially you don't want to offend anybody when it comes to the dessert. So you got to make sure that you have an extra portion of dessert, which this time happened to be New York cheesecake with cherries. So it was, it, you know, I suffered through it, and uh, I made it through. No, but it was wonderful. But really, when we get together as the people of God, it is wonderful. And it is good to come to worship together and to bless one another and, and to pat each other on the back and... And say, man, it's good to be in the house of God. And it's good. But God has called us for so much more than that. He has called us to impact the community that's around us. We're going to be looking at the church of Antioch in just a moment here. And the impact that the church of Jesus Christ was able to make on that place is, is on the realm of supernatural. And we're going to see that today. So when we think of impact, you know, you think of change. You think of the changing landscape, you think of what would have happened, what could have happened if type thing. Well, we do know that about eight or 10,000 years ago, there was a 
meteor that weighed, was 150 feet wide, made out of nickel and steel, or nickel and iron, and it hit in a place called, in Arizona, near Flagstaff, Arizona. Anybody ever been there, by the way? We had a few. Okay, y'all been there. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about it. It's 4,000, I think it's 4,000 meters across. It is, uh, is uh, 700 feet from the tip all the way to the base down here. And this is interesting. The plain of Gaza, which is where all the pyramids are and, and, the, and the Sphinx, they could all fit inside of this meteor crater. That's how huge it is. It's 150 feet. If you go outside of it, it's 150 feet from the ground to the top. And uh, this thing has been there, they think, eight to 10,000 years. The largest piece they ever found was a, a piece the size of a German shepherd, and it weighs almost 1,200 pounds. So this thing made an impact, and of course, this crater's been there and obviously not been changed. They've actually trained uh, moon to go to the moon. They actually put astronauts in here and trained in, that meteor, in this meteor crater to help them when they got to the moon. So what I'm trying to get at is if you go around this area, this this Meteor not only made this hole, it impacted the entire area around it. Folks, I want you to know, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to do as well. It's not that we make an impact right here in our church. We make the impact of everything around us. And we don't just make an impact for a year or two. We make an impact for tens of years, hundred years, thousand years, so that we can go back 2,000 years hence now, and we can say, look what God has done. Movements have started and movements have finished, but the church of Jesus Christ still stands. The church is a church triumphant that will march and never die because of the people of God called to do the work of God and the will of God, following the word of God, worship the Son of God, and makes a difference in the hearts and lives of those that are around that place. That's what God has called Northwood Baptist Church to be. And I want to look at the Church of Antioch to kind of get us an idea as to what we as the Church of Jesus have, have, uh, are supposed to be about the business of. Now, before we get there, let me explain to you. We're about to have a seismic shift in what's happening in the book of Acts and in the early church because up to this point, we have been worshiping the, uh, with the Jews and the Jews have been out doing their work, winning other Jews to Christ, which is wonderful. That's what needed to be done. And so they're out there winning their friends just like we ought to be doing. But they're only going to Jews. But then this incredible thing happens. And it began, as we learned from Pastor Tommy's messages, it began at the time of Stephen when Stephen was martyred. And they began to be dispersed. And one of the places that they went to in droves was Antioch. And when they got to Antioch, they began to make a difference with the people that were there in Antioch. And so what was happening, though, is that when they first got there, we're going to read that in just a minute, they began, to, they began to go after the Jews, just like they did in Jerusalem. But when they got to Antioch, they also found there were these other people that were there. They were the Hellenists or the, Jew, uh, the Greeks. Uh, we might know them today as Gentiles. They were people that not, were not Jews. And what they were doing was they decided, some of them decided, to go out and do that. But here was what was going on in the church. Because of the Jewish tradition, that if you wanted to be a Jew, you had to follow the traditions of the Jews. You had to come and you had to, be a, you had to come into the church and, uh, excuse me, come into the synagogue 
and you had to decide that you were going to be a part. You had to follow the Jewish ways, and uh, that, that they would then could become somehow, some way, could become sort of a people of God. The Gentiles could. But they weren't really full-fledged. Some even believed that the Gentiles, if they just follow seven laws of Noah, whatever those were, those are a traditional seven things that they could do, and if they would do those, somehow God would kind of look at them and say, ah, you're, you're not great, but you're okay, I'll take you. And then there were groups like the Essenes, which we have found uh, large amounts of information about what the, what the uh, Jews were like in 100 years before Christ, and they were looking for a Messiah, the Essenes were. But the Essenes believed not only that Gentiles couldn't be saved, they thought that nobody but them could be saved, so they didn't think the Jews were saved. So if the Jews couldn't be saved, neither could the Gentiles be saved. So they were really out there. So out of that, what was happening was that basically the Gentiles were pretty well hopeless. It was almost no hope for the Gentiles. So that was what the Jews, when they left and they went and did their thing when they were in Antioch while they were going after the Jews. Let's begin reading, if you will, in verse 19. Then those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Here's that word Antioch, first time. Speaking the message to no one except Jews. And then comes the seismic shift. But there were some of them, they're probably troublemakers, by the way, Cypriot and Cyrenian men who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Gentiles, the Hellenists, the Greeks, proclaiming the news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was on them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you have taught us what we are to be as your church, what we are to be as your people, who we are to follow, what we are to do. And God, we pray that we would be a church here at Northwood Baptist that would have an impact that lasts, not just for a, a week or two or a year or two or a decade or two, but Lord, that we would have an impact that lasts well into the next century, into the next millennium as we continue to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Lord, may we have that kind of impact in this place that you have called us to for your glory. Now, in the quietness of this moment, I would ask you to consider this. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a minute, and it goes like this. It says, Dear God, when you speak to me, I will obey. You don't need to pray it out loud, but if you would just pray that in your heart, you would just say, Dear Lord, when you speak to me, I will obey. You can just pray that right now. Dear Lord, when you speak to me, I will obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that's the world that they came up in. This world that they were going to try to have to win people to. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Antioch so we can kind of get a grip of what's going on here. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Some people have it upwards of 500,000 to 600,000 people. It was huge. Only Rome and Alexandria were bigger than Antioch. Antioch had a, a four-mile 
marble. Now, those of us that put in, I, didn't, I was not rich enough to put in marble uh, countertops, but I did put in uh, granite. And uh, granite countertops, that cost us a ridiculous amount of money to do that. And those of you that have done that know, can you imagine a four-mile road of marble through the middle of the city with marble colonnades on either side all the way up and down those four miles? That was Antioch. It was a place of great wealth. It was a place where all the gods came together and and met. It was a place where uh, the people worshipped Everything from the Syrian gods to the Canaanite gods to every kind of god you can imagine. And it was this place that the Christians who were in Judea fled to. Now you would think what they would have done is gone into their houses and kind of been, you know, cloistered. The four walls. Let's come in here. Let's do our thing. Let's go home. Let's not rock the boat. Let's not do anything. But what we have is an exact opposite picture of that as we come to these words in verse 20. But there were some of them who came to Antioch and began speaking. Can you imagine the impact that they thought they could have? You see, what what we might consider a terrible place to go, they saw a place that they could make incredible impact on the world for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church and for the sake and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what they saw. I want you to know, church, that we too are called to a place here at Northwood Baptist Church where lots of other gods are worshipped. No, it's not the Assyrian gods. and it's, it's not Daphne, the Roman god, like was in Antioch. It's not the Canaanite gods. It's the gods of the best school, the nicest cars, the best neighborhoods, the best kind of job, the most money, the greatest football team. All kinds of gods are out there that people worship today. John Calvin once said that our hearts were idol-making, are idol-making machines. Anything that gets between anyone in their relationship to God becomes an idol. We are called to a place of idol worship as well. We are called to a place of immorality. You, don't, you can't hardly cut a, uh, read the newspaper. These days you don't read the newspaper, do you? But you can't open the internet or, uh, or cut on the television and not hear about somebody being murdered or knifed or something horrible going on. We live in a place where we tend to want to get cloistered behind our four walls and say, let them have at it. We need each other. Let's just gather together as the saints of God. But God has called Northwood to so much better, so much greater as we share the good news of Christ, as we go out and we make a difference in the lives of people. What could be a Opportunity, excuse me, what could be a challenge could become an opportunity for every one of us, just like it was for that church in Antioch. So, what happens is we're now at a tipping point. Either as people, that's God's people, now recognized by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the church of Jesus Christ, 
as the light to the Gentiles will be the church of Jesus Christ, or it will become another Jewish sect relegated to some dusty old building somewhere that one day will be discovered in a dry, dusty archaeological dig and then dug up and put in a museum. Or we will become the living church of Jesus Christ that is going to impact our world, impact Antioch, and then reach the world for the sake of the gospel. Which will it be? Northwood, every generation makes a choice. We're coming up to 50 years at Northwood Baptist in just a little while. As we come up to that landmark, and it is a wonderful landmark, we have to make a choice. Are we going to be that church that says, eh, we'll just get along with each other and that's enough? Or are we going to be a church that goes out there and impacts and touches lives and wins people and makes a difference? So if we're going to ask that question, then I think we need to find out some ways that the early church made a lasting impact on their world. And, and let's use those ways, three ways, I think, that we can make a lasting impact on our world. The first is found in this. Number one, big impact requires all disciples to be all in. Big impact requires all disciples to be all in. So if that's going to happen, then we have to ask the question, how can disciples take responsibility? How can disciples take responsibility? Well, I want you to notice what happened. We already read about these Cypriots and Cyrenian men. They chose not only to witness to their Jewish friends, but they also chose to go to people they didn't know so well, they didn't like so well, the people that they, in their, in their mind, at least on a spiritual level, stunk. They didn't want to be around them. And they said, hey, let's go to the, let's go to the Greeks. Let's go to the Gentiles. Let's make a difference. Let me just share something with you. When your pastors and your life connection group leaders and your discipleship leaders and others in our church challenge you to go out and reach this world for the gospel, I know that some of you think that we're just doing that to make you feel guilty. But nothing could be farther from the truth. God has called us to make a difference here. And it only happens when we're all doing it together. It cannot happen if we just say, well, I'm going to leave it to the 80, I'm going to leave it to the 20%. A few years ago, there came out a, a leadership understanding of what they call the 80-20, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and 80% of the people do 20% of the work, so let's invest in the 20%. And people have started to use that as an excuse. Well, I'm not one of the 20%. I don't need to do it. But God has so much, much, so much more for you, so much more. That's why he requires all disciples to be all in. How does that happen? I think it happens in four ways. If we're equally committed, if we're all equally committed. Go back to verse 19. Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch and speaking the message to no one except Jews, but there were some of them and it goes on into that story. They said, hey, it's not just going to be the leadership of the church. You notice, I don't see one, apo one apostle mentioned there. It's going to be us. We're all going to make it happen. 
Some of us are called to the Jews. Some of us are called to the Gentiles. But we're all going to work. We're all going to accomplish it. We need to be equally committed. God has called us to do that. We're not going to be intimidated by this city that we live in. We're not going to be intimidated by the magnificent wealth that's here. You see, these Christians were not rich people. They'd been forced up there. They had left a lot of what they knew and, and their, their jobs and other things back in Judea. Here they are in Antioch. But regardless of that, the word of God was with them. The hand of God was upon them. And they witnessed. And the Bible tells us that a great number of people, number of people came to know Jesus. Some people took on leaders, the shepherds. But some realized they needed to go beyond that. But they were all equally committed, regardless. So how else do we take responsibility? Number two, spirit-led disciples, the second bullet point, spirit-led disciples see the big picture. Spirit-led disciples see the big picture. It's more than just me, mine, and ours. It's all of them. It's all them. They realized that they needed to grow because there were so many people that needed Jesus. Northwood, Northwood, we don't need to grow so that these seats will be filled. We need to grow because people need Jesus. 140,000 people in North Charleston. That's the impact that Jesus Christ wants us to make. We need to see that big picture. Led by the Spirit of God, we say, God, what do you want us to do? Third bullet point, if we're gonna, how can we take responsibility? We recruit, we recruit those who can accomplish the mission. So not only did Barnabas come in as a spirit-led man, he knew what he could do. He came from the church in Jerusalem. He saw the big picture. He came to report not just what was happening. He wanted to come and strategically start God's work there in Antioch and even beyond Antioch. But then we have him coming to the Apostle Paul and looking for Saul of Tarsus. Where's Saul? Remember, Saul was the disciple who was called to the Gentiles, and Barnabas knew that. Now, I want you to think a little bit about Barnabas. Barnabas is the big wheel. He's the big gun. He's the big guy. He's the big kahuna, right? I didn't think that until I read this passage. He's the one that's going after Saul. Saul's about 10 years removed from his conversion, and Barnabas wants to know where Saul is. Why? Because Barnabas is in leadership, and he wants to go find Saul to help him. You know, that could get messy. Think about Saul. Saul was trouble, wasn't he? he everywhere he went, they tried to put him in jail. Everywhere he went, he got, he, people threatened to stone him. Everywhere he went, the church didn't even like him. Because some of their friends and family were put into prison. Some died because of Saul. They didn't like him. And yet Barnabas knew that Saul had been called as the missionary to the Gentiles. That was Saul's calling. And he knew if he was going to get this done, he was going to need help. I lost the tip of my rocket, unfortunately. But this is the rocket that I built when I was in, uh, we, we went away for the hurricane. And this was at my daughter's house, my daughter and son-in-law's house in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and uh, we were up there, and my grandson, Asher, uh, wanted to help me build this thing. So, uh, you know, I said, yeah, okay, and I tried to keep him away, yeah, okay, do that over there, to play with this and give him stuff to play with, but then I realized, you know what, 
even if he messes it up, I got the rest of the night and I can fix it. And so he would do his little thing and then I would fix it back and he would do his little thing and I would fix it back after he went to sleep, you know. And it probably took me twice as long to make. It took me, this rocket's supposed to take about an hour. It probably took me, what, four or five hours to build. But you know what? I had him under my wing. I spent time with him. I cared, I showed him I cared. Just a simple little thing like building a model rocket. By the way, this rocket flies and it did fly and it has a payload. I actually shot an egg up in this thing. Pretty sweet. Um, and, oh, oh, I got to show you this, though. You know what the par- And it does come, ho- come down with a parachute. Look at this. You know what the parachute says? We can't leave this out of the sermon. It says Chick-fil-A. <laughs> there you go, Pastor Tommy. All right. But here's my point, using a silly, a silly model rocket. Folks, there are lots of people that either you need to put under your wing to help you, or there's some of you that need to be under somebody's wing to help them. Everybody needs to be doing the work of God. Is it going to be messy? Yeah. Is it going to take more time? Yeah. Are you going to have to go back and fix some stuff? Yeah. But that's how we reproduce disciples. That's how we reproduce the church of Jesus Christ. That's how we re- reproduce serving. That's how we do it. We have somebody under our wing, and, we have, and we're under someone's wing. That's the picture. And that's exactly what Barnabas did with Saul. He went and found him in Tarsus and brought him back so that they could do the work of God. And then, not only did they see the big picture, they completely, fourth bullet point, were identified with Christ. Look at the last words of that scripture in uh, verse, uh, let's see here, verse 25, 6, excuse me. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So we have these people that were committed. We have Barnabas being led of the Spirit. We have Saul being recruited to help. And then we have the people of God being called Christians. Now let me explain to you that word because we have come to abuse that word in many ways. We have a lot of cultural Christians that call themselves Christian because they don't want anybody to think they're not Buddhist. Uh, they, you know, they call themselves Christians because they want people to know, you know, whose team they're playing for, you know, that kind of idea. They want to be called Christians because, you know, my grandma and grandpa were, they want to be called Christians because their friends are, but that's not what Christian means. Christian means to be identified with Christ as one of his, I am one of his. It was them saying It was actually the world looking at them and saying, there with Jesus. That's what this was about. This is where they were first called Christians. And imagine that they were called this place, in this place of sin, this place of debauchery, this place where they worshipped God by having sexual immorality. And they look at these Christians and they know they're different than them as they begin to make an impact on their lives. And God calls his church today to be identified with him. Not cultural Christians, but born again, sold out believers of Jesus Christ. Called to be disciples. That's what he's called us to be. As we make disciples, to make disciples, to make disciples. Big impact requires all disciples 
to be all in, and that's how it happens. When we're equally committed, when we're spirit-led and see the big picture, when we recruit those who can accomplish the mission, and finally, when we're completely identified with Christ. But number two, big impact also takes place when we reach the lives of those who are in the greatest need. When we reach the lives of those who are in the greatest need. Turn to uh, verse 27. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. So each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to his brothers who lived in Judea. And they did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. You know what they did? They decided that they were going to start to be responsible for other people. This church in Antioch was doing everything it could to build itself up, doing everything it could to witness, but it saw a need beyond them, and they said, it's going to be our responsibility to take care of them. Our responsibility. When I was growing up, I used to go to my granddad's farm up in Union, South Carolina. Near, actually, it was a place called Buffalo. Actually, the farm was outside of Buffalo. Uh, several people came to me afterwards and had some connections in Union and Buffalo and other things. That's really cool. But anyway, uh, we were there, and so us cousins never got in any trouble at all. We were perfect angels and never had any trouble. Uh, I do have, uh, I, I do lie a little, though. But anyway, uh, the point is, is that what, what had happened, one of my hijinks was I uh, decided that I wanted a glass of orange juice. Grandma would always, Grandma Scott would always keep orange juice in the, in the refrigerator. And so I would go and I would pour my glass of orange juice. So she had these little orange juice glasses. I don't know if y'all remember those things. They had little orange and yellow designs on them. They were, we thought they were the coolest thing. So anyway, I went to the cabinet and I opened the door. And I don't know if I had pulled it or I clumsily grabbed it or what. But anyway, regardless, it fell and it hit the countertop and it broke in about three or four pieces. All over. I went, oh boy, am I in trouble. How am I going to tell this to my grandma? with her orange juice glass. That is an important thing. Oh, I have an idea. I have a great idea. What I'll do is it's only really in about three or four pieces, so I'll, I'll put the base up there, and then I'll get all the little glass things, and I'll stick it all around there, and I'll put it back in the cabinet right up against the cabinet door so when the cabinet, whoever, one of my other cousins opens the door, then the glass will fall out, and I can blame it on them. I say, you dope, why did you do that? Can't you be careful? Well, I did that. I closed the cabinet door, and who walks in but my granddad, and guess what he wanted? A glass of orange juice. He opens the door, and out falls that glass all over the counter. He goes, what in the world? And I just look, and I'm just sitting there watching, not saying a word. And he gets the broom, and he starts sweeping it up on everything, And I'd like to tell you that I owned responsibility for that. But I didn't. I let him take full responsibility for dropping that orange juice glass and him having to be the one telling my grandma that he broke an orange juice glass. And by the way, he went on to be with the Lord a couple decades ago and he never knew that, that I had broken the glass. He does now. Sorry, granddad. Here's my point, folks. It's time we take responsibility period. When we see a need, we take responsibility. Now, sometimes that need might be that we put the money in. 
Just like the Antioch church did. They had to put the money in for Judea. Some might be that I'm going to be the one that goes, like Paul and Barnabas. The Bible tells us that they did this sending to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. It might be that that's what you, maybe you are going to be one of the ones that send them. That say, hey, these are the people we need to send, and we send them out. But whatever it is, we take responsibility for the need. Now, the need in this situation happened to be the prophet Agabus who came and said there's going to be a great famine, which, by the way, there was a great famine in that time period. And they said, he said, you better get ready. You better take care of the church. And they did exactly that. And they went and they sent that money to the church in Judea. Now, for us as the church of Jesus Christ, I want you to know that there are needs everywhere around us. And we need to take responsibility for those needs as well. Thank God Northwood does a lot, but there's lots of things we can do. Don't underestimate the the power that we have as the people of God to get out there and get the job done. Somebody might say, well, it'd be neato if we went to Indonesia, but Northwood sends people to Indonesia to share the gospel. It would be neato if we went to Boston, but Northwood sends people to Boston to take care of needs. It would be neato if we said, you know, that church in Boston really needs a building. Let me pray for them, and you should. But Northwood said, hey, let's get behind it. Let's give over $16,000 to help them get in that building. Folks, we need to continue and do more, not do less, do more. As we see other ministries and God is working in and through Northwood Baptist Church, whether it be in Russia or Guatemala or whether it be in Cambodia or Indonesia or whether it be in Boston or maybe right here in North Charleston, we say, it is my responsibility. What can we do? Well, number one, you just watch for the extreme needs, don't you? We don't have one, an extreme need going on right now in the Bahamas, isn't it? Maybe you have taken money out and sent it to the Baptist, uh, Baptist World Mission that they would be able to accomplish the work of God in the Bahamas. Or maybe you might have sent it to something like a, a Franklin Graham's ministry. Other ministries that are going on there in the Bahamas. And that's not the only one. They're all over the world. Watch for extreme needs of the church worldwide. Second bullet point, though, give as you're able. Listen, don't give what you're not able. You know, I always say that and people say, what do you mean? Because people always come to me and say, well, I can't give $20. Okay. Can you give 10? No. Can you give five? I guess I could give five. Well, give five. Why are people always saying what they can't do? Let's do what we can do. Amen. Don't feel guilty about what you can't do. Get behind it. Give as you're able just like this church did, and then make a plan, whatever it is. How do we make that plan? There's two ways. You, you send help, and you're willing to go. Saul and Barnabas were willing to go. They said, we're going to send help down to Judea. That's what the church of Jesus does. We make a plan by sending help and being willing to go. But the church didn't stop there, did they? They understood that the need is not just bread the need is also for the bread of life the greatest need in north charleston is not for food although that is a need the greatest need is not for shelter although that is a need the greatest need is not whatever it might be education the greatest need is jesus they desperately need jesus and we can feed them all day long but if we don't feed them the bread of life then we have missed the mark 
I want you to know that the greatest need that you have in your life is to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. If you have never come to a place in your life where you know for sure, for certain, if you were to die today that you would be in heaven, we can tell you today how you can know that. Jesus died for your sins. He came and lived a perfect, sinless life and then died on the cross, rose three days later, and he did it all to be your Lord and your Savior. And if you'll repent of your sin and turn to him, and believe in him, he'll make you one of his. That's the greatest need in the world. That's the greatest need that every single person in this auditorium has today of Jesus Christ. And then finally, big impact willingly takes on the greater mission. Number three. Look at turn over chapter 13, look at verses one through three. And in the church it was in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and Barnabas and Simeon, it's called Niger and Lucius the Cyrenian, Manaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called them to. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Here's Barnabas and Saul doing a great work in Antioch. Would we, I mean, I think we could all agree on that. They're doing a great work. They're part of the leadership in Antioch, this, this church in a mega city, and this becoming a mega church in a mega city. Their leadership there. And what happens? They're praying together. The leaders are praying together. And out of the blue, the Holy Spirit says to them, as they were ministering to the Lord in fasting, doesn't say they were about what that was about, but it does say what the Holy Spirit said. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. That meant they were going to have to be taken out of the church in Antioch and sent out. Here's the bottom line. If God calls people from Northwood to accomplish his work around the world, he's going to make up for it when he removes them from this fellowship. Every single time. Over and over I've heard people say, well, I'm going to go do the work of the Lord. My first thought is always, thank the Lord. I wish, you know, I think we just need to have that attitude. When people remove people from our church to send them on, folks, that's a rejoicing moment. That's not a depressing moment. And so God was going to have to fill in the blanks. Why did that happen? First bullet point, they had to understand that they needed to let go of the good work in order to accomplish the greater work. Suppose they had just stayed in Antioch and had never moved further than that. Guess what? We probably wouldn't be having church here today. But they saw the world desperately needed Jesus. Ask, church, Northwood, what do you need to let go of to do greater ministry? What do you need to let go of? It might be a good thing, but God's calling you to something greater. I just don't have time to. Well, what do you need to let go? Because God gives us all 24 hours. And then the second thing is consider the mission of your church before going just anywhere. Folks, we go all over the world. I have some prayer cards here. Things we can do, we can pray. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. You walk into the supernatural throne room of God and you ask God to do a greater work. Here's the Rhodes family in Boston, Massachusetts. Happened to be my son. You can pray for them. Here's Jared. He's in Taiwan. You can pray for him and his wife. 
Yeah, they are. And if you, need, if you need to know these names or prayer cards, you let me know. We'll get them for you. We have prayer cards out at the mission board right there. You can grab them. Pray for them. Start today. That's something you can start today. You don't have to wait. All right? This is where our mission team is with Adam and Rebecca and their kids in Indonesia. And uh, we pray for them. And by the way, let me tell you, a great place to put them is on your refrigerator. Then you can pray for them every time you go grab something to eat. That's good. And then uh, I just got a new one from Alyssa. Where, is Alyssa in here? Yeah, there you go. This is her brother-in-law and sister, right? Yeah. And they are in the Himalayas ministering to the Buddhist. And so we can pray for them. And uh, there's lots of other people we can pray for, the pastor in Guatemala and the ministry there. Uh, we're going to try to get all this together. I've always talked to Brother Logan about, uh, Pastor Logan about getting all this together. Because we want you to be praying. So that's one thing you can do right now in the mission of your church. But other things you can do. Everybody can't go. Listen, I cannot go to Cambodia. I cannot make that 30-something hour flight. I can't do it, literally. I, my leg won't take it. I can't handle it. But we can support people that are going by prayer. We can support them financially. We can just give them a pat. Sometimes they need rides back and forth from the airport. I know that sounds silly. You can support them by being at the airport when they leave. You know, we were there yesterday when they left for Indonesia. It's a great blessing to pray them out of here and bring them back in. It's a wonderful thing for them to see the church of Jesus there. And some of you will go and should go and need to go. Some of you need to go to Boston. Some of you need to go to Guatemala. Some of you need to go to Russia. Some of you do need to go other places that God is calling us to go to. Some of you need to do that. The mission of your church. What's the church's mission? Get involved and let it happen. I want you to be in prayer for our missionaries. I want you to get involved. But more than anything, I want you to see the lasting impact that you can have if you'll begin to say, I'm all in. You'll begin to say, not only am I all in, I want to find out where the greatest need is and reach those people. And then I want to see the greater mission. What's it going to be for you today? Let's pray. Dear Lord God, thank you so much for all that you do for us every single day. Lord, we know that you have called us as a church to do your work and accomplish your task, whatever it might be, for your glory and for your honor, Lord. May you do it in and through your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you might need to come forward today and just commit these missionaries to the Lord. Some of you pray for our missionaries that are in Indonesia now. Pray for our pastor as he goes to Cambodia next month. Pray for God to do a work in Boston. Pray for God to do a work with Pastor Nikolai in Russia and others that God is working through. Maybe you need to come forward today. Maybe you need to come forward to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. I'll be down front. You can come talk to me. Somebody will be at the crosses today. You can go talk to them at the crosses in the corner of our church over here and over here. They'd love to talk to you about that. On your back of your card, your Connect card, you can actually check and let us know that you've trusted Christ or you want to trust Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. Whatever God is doing in your life, let him do it here this morning. Remember how we prayed? Lord, when you speak to me, I will obey. Do it for his sake. Let's pray. Dear Lord, use us this day for your glory. Touch our hearts. Touch our lives. May we be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.